Definitely Baby acknowledges the traditional owners, the Wurundjeri Willem and Boonarong peoples of the Kulin Nation, of the land on which we record and share our stories. We pay respects to their elders, past, present and future, and recognise this unceded land on which we live, work and learn always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Definitely Baby, a podcast that shares parents' unique stories of their transitions into the world of parenthood and the profound identity and relationship changes that accompany it. I hope this podcast is a supportive, comforting and inspiring resource for you, no matter where you are on your parenting journey. Let's muddle through the ups and downs of parenthood together and find solace in the knowledge that we're not alone. Every parenting journey is full of surprises, but if you can count on one thing, it's definitely baby. Today on the show, I am joined by Shannon. Shannon and her husband, Brad, are parents to their 18-month-old daughter, Winter, who was born prematurely at 30 weeks gestation after Shannon's waters broke unexpectedly. So we get to hear about her experience with all of this, with Winter's stay in NICU and special care before bringing her home and how that transition was, how it impacted her sleep and her feeding and her development and all of those things, how Shannon's identity and relationships have changed and how her preconceived notions of parenting were much different than what she experienced having a premature baby such an important episode. I thank you so much, Shannon, for sharing your story with us and for bringing awareness to this topic. So let us get into the episode now. I hope that you adore this chat as much as I did. Hi, Shannon. Thanks so much for coming onto the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so lovely to have you here. Could you start by introducing yourself to the listeners and telling us a little bit about your family? Sure. Um, so my name's Shannon, but I go by Shan. Um, I'm 27 and live with my fiancé, Brad. We've been together for almost 10 years now. And we have a daughter, Winter, who's about 18 months now. We live in Melbourne and it's currently raining and really yuck mm-hmm. outside. Yep. I literally had to carry Hazel to daycare today because we live super close by and I was like I'm not driving but I had to carry her in the rain because I was like I'm not risking the pram getting wet yeah. and it was just it was awful absolutely <laughs> yeah it's yuck. It so yuck. <laughs> yeah uh, and can you tell us your love story with Brad how did you guys meet um we actually went to school together Aww. so he's a couple of years older than me and we didn't really talk at school I didn't really know who he was I just kind of knew of him um and he left I think in like year 11 so I think we met after he left. We met through some mutual friends and just kind of hit it off and we've been talking in together ever since. Yeah, oh, beautiful. Yeah, so lovely. Yeah, and could you take us back to your pregnancy and your birth with Winter? Sure. So my pregnancy was super-duper cruisy. Like, I'm extremely lucky to have had a really good pregnancy um, for the most part anyway. Um, So I wasn't really too sick or anything, like a little bit. I just mostly had heartburn and stuff like that. Um, It was in and out of lockdown, so I spent most of it at home, and I'm such a homebody, so that was just perfect for me. Um, And, yeah, nothing really stood out to us as, like, 
high risk or anything like that. Like I literally just had an appointment with them and they were like, yep, start coming up with your birth plan. I think you'll be right to go naturally and everything. Like everything was looking fantastic. Um, at about 29 weeks, I had kind of like a little leak. Um, wasn't a hundred percent sure what it was. I had three appointments coming up in the following week just because she was measuring a little bit small, which all ended up being fine. Um, but they, they didn't really say anything about it. They said, look, she's sitting on your bladder. Um, your fluid looks fine based on the ultrasounds. Like there's really nothing wrong. I believed that, but there was part of me that was like, I don't know, like I lost my mucus plug. I didn't feel 100%, but it was summer and it was hot. And I thought maybe this is just what pregnancy is like in summer. Like you don't feel great anyway. Um, so I went to an appointment. It was on the Friday and that was with the consultant. And I explained all of what had happened to her and stuff. And she didn't do a swab, which looking back now, I think is really strange. But at the time, I didn't think anything of it. Um, and she said, yeah, like she's sitting really low. Her head is like super, super low down, which I could feel her like at my pubic bone and it just didn't feel right. But she said, she's sitting on your bladder. So you probably will wet yourself. So don't think too much of it. Like go home, you'll be right. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, well, the next day it was a Saturday and I was at work. I'm a beauty therapist and I finished my client at about 2 p.m. And when I stood up off the chair, fluid just poured down my legs wow. and I thought I wet myself like I didn't think it was my water or anything and I was so embarrassed because <laughs> my client was like right there so I kicked her out of the salon and was like see you next time I had to borrow some towels from the hairdressers I was working with to drive home and I had soaked through them wow. in like the three minute trip home like it was full on um so I said to Brad like surely it's not my water we're like trying to smell it and figure out what it is all of the stuff you see on tv we were a little bit clueless like I obviously was not expecting to go into labor early so I didn't really know what signs to look out for but I rang the hospital because it gushed again all over the floor and they were like yep come in I'm sure it's nothing so we took our time and headed in and they did a swab and that confirmed that I had in fact had my waters broken so when your waters break I believe you have like 48 hours to get antibiotics or to give birth before infection begins and it had been 10 days so I was 30 and 3 so it had been a long time and they just kind of said like look we'll see how you go doesn't mean you're in labor my cervix was long and closed I wasn't contracting so they said we'll send you to another hospital a little bit further away you'll be on bed rest on the ward until she comes and no one said like she'll be coming soon like in my head, it was going to be okay. Like I'm spending Christmas in the hospital. I was really upset about that. I was thinking about my clients because we were three weeks out from Christmas. Like what was I going to do with them? I wasn't really thinking too much about the baby, which sounds terrible, but no one had said like you're in danger or anything like that. So in my head, I was going to get to term or pretty close to it anyway. So they sent Brad home to go and pack a bag and have something to eat and we were waiting for the ambulance to transport me to the other hospital and while he was gone my back started to hurt a little bit I asked for some Panadol um, I didn't know that was the beginning of everything so when I got in the ambulance Brad wasn't allowed to come in with me so he drove behind and I said to the paramedics like I'm just in a lot of pain like I don't know it's coming in waves is this what a contraction is and she said no 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 like you're not in labor no 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 and then the driver was joking and she's like, don't go into labor in the ambulance. And I was like, 
okay, but if they're not contractions, why would you say that? Like I was kind of like, okay, someone's not being honest with me. Um, and when we got to the hospital, I could barely walk. Oh, like wow. they took me into emergency and they're like, hop up off the bed. And I was like, I physically can't. Um, so the nurse said, wow, like your contractions are really hard and fast. And I was like, I'm not in labor. What are you talking about? As I'm like pouring fluid all over her floor and she's like slipping <laughs> in it. She's got towels on the ground trying oh to clean gosh. it up. And she's like, I might just go get the obstetrician and we'll see. So I'm texting Brad. He's in the waiting room and he's like, no one's letting me in because of COVID. What do I do? And I was like, I don't know what's happening. I'm texting my mum. Everyone seemed to know what was going on except for me. I don't know if I was in denial or I don't know, but I was pretty calm but panicked at the same time. Um, so the obstetrician came in and he said, you're three centimetres dilated and what's happened is you've tested positive for an infection called chorioamnionitis. So it's an infection in the placenta and basically that's from my water breaking so far in advance and going so long without treatment. So he said what was happening was my body was rejecting the placenta, which rejects the baby in turn. So he said it's a really common cause of like miscarriage and stillbirth and everything like that. And it all became a little bit scary and he was trying to keep me calm and everything. And I just kept saying like, where's Brad? Like, why isn't he in here? Can someone go get him? And they're like, you can't come in unless you're in the birth suite. So I'm like, cool. How long is this going to go on for? Um, I was thinking that they were going to say, we'll take you up for a C-section now. And I had sort of mentally prepared for that. And he said, uh, well, there's no reason that you can't try for a natural delivery. Um, if it goes pear-shaped, we'll take you in for a C-section. But if that's something you'd like to try, we can give it a crack. And I was like, yep, take me over. I'm in pain. I want an epidural. And he goes, oh, your contractions are too close together for an epidural. By the time we get them down here to do it, like, it'll be too late. And I was like, sick. That's great. <laughs> like, that was the only thing I had in my birth right, plan yeah. was pain relief. And I wasn't getting it. So... Brad came in and they wheeled me into the birth suite and poor Brad, like he had left the other hospital with me in no pain. I was like, yeah, go, like stop by Macca's on your way home, like take your time, no big deal. And he arrives and I'm literally crying, like I can barely stand, like I was in so much pain and he just went into shock and didn't know what to do. So the room filled with all of these doctors and everything and they said basically like this is her survival rate this is your survival rate because the infection was so severe. This is what to expect. She might not cry when she comes out. Don't panic. We're going to work on her right away. She'll go straight up to the NICU. Um, You won't get to hold her. And that just really struck me because that was all I wanted was to hold her when she was born. So everything happened really, really fast. He went to break my water and I was already seven centimetres. And from him breaking my water to her being born was so fast. Like I don't I don't even know how long it was. All I know was I pushed for about eight minutes and that was it. She came out. I did go into septic shock during birth, which I didn't know at the time. I knew I was really unwell, but I didn't know that's what it was. They didn't tell me. Um, She did cry when she was born. So that was amazing because we weren't expecting that. And they took her to work on her. And I just sat there in shock and I didn't know what to do. Like, what do you do when they come out and like they're working on them or even if they're not working on them while they're handing them to you, you just kind of sit there and time sort of stands still. And they brought her over all wrapped up and they were like, here she is. Do you want to hold her for a photo? And I was like, yes. And I was looking at her because I wanted to see her face. And they're like, no, no, come look at the camera. Look at the camera. 
So I did. And then the second they took the photo, they took her away from me. And I was like, so you didn't even get to I'm not like, I don't even know what she looks like. Yep. And she had her little CPAP like headband on as well. So I couldn't see her hair. I didn't know if she had any hair. It was really, really bizarre. It didn't feel real. And it all happened so fast. I was only in labor for a few hours. Like it was very bizarre. I wanted to text my mum and let her know what was happening. Brad was already on it. He was already messaging everyone he needed to, but I just didn't know what to do. And then they're like, come on, dad, come down to the NICU. And all of the people that were in the room left and it was me and the midwife and that was it. And then she's like, you just had a baby. And I was like, okay, it doesn't feel like I did. Like I was so confused. And then she left the room and I was by myself and it was very, very bizarre. So Brad ended up coming back up and I had a shower and they said, you can go down and meet her now. It was about three in the morning. So I sent Brad home because due to restrictions, he wouldn't be allowed to stay anyway once I went onto the ward. Um, I went down to meet her and he had kind of prepared me for what to expect. She was covered in cables and tubes and everything, but it just didn't feel real. It kind of felt like I was watching a movie. She was in this little incubator thing and there's a nurse like doing everything for her and she kept trying to talk to me and like make conversation with me and I just couldn't even hear her and then she was kind of acting like I was being rude and I felt really bad and felt like I had to talk to her and she was kind of making me uncomfortable and I remember I put my hand in and was touching Winter's back and I went to stroke it and she's like don't do that you're hurting her and I was like oh okay because the skin is so delicate so she's like you can touch her but don't stroke her So I just took my hand out because I panicked and I was like, oh my God, I don't want to hurt her. Mm. And then I said, oh, she's making the most beautiful little squeaky noises. Like I just loved it. And she's like, that means she's struggling to breathe. And I was like, okay. not what you need to hear. (laughs) No, it wasn't the best experience. And I said, okay, I'd just like to go back up to the birth suite, please, and go to sleep. So they told me I could go home the next day, but my infection was too bad and I ended up staying another night. So I spent most of the day in the NICU with her and she potentially needed this, I don't know what the procedure was called, but they might have to put a surfactant in her lungs. So basically a surfactant is like a lubricant and when they're premature, they don't necessarily have that. So I saw them doing it to another child because he needed it desperately and they all came rushing in and the doctor said, you can stay where you are, you're fine, but we're going to do this over here. And we had just discussed the risks of that and I was so scared that like I left because I was like, I can't see that, that's so scary. Um, And it was all very, very bizarre and I was discharged the following morning and yeah, left the hospital without my baby. Mm, Wow, yeah, how did that feel for you? I mean... You know, at 30 weeks, you're not even remotely thinking about having your baby yet. You probably haven't even packed your hospital bag or anything. No, we had nothing. Like we had just moved house a couple of weeks before. We didn't have a cot. We didn't have a car seat. We had nothing. So I was mostly just excited to go home. I had begged them to discharge me because like I'm on a ward with women who have their babies in their room with them. Um, The woman who was in the room with me hadn't had her baby yet. She was on bed rest, which they had done on purpose. But you can still hear them. They're still walking past the room and everything. So I was just desperate to go home. Um, So when I left, I think I was still in shock and like didn't really think much of it. But it wasn't until I got home and went and had a shower and 
Brad had completely spaced like cleaning the bathroom. So all of the towels and the clothes that were covered in fluid was on the bathroom floor. And that is what kind of got me. And that's when I sort of broke down and realized what had actually just happened and getting in the shower and realizing that she wasn't like in my belly anymore kind of hit me really hard. But actually leaving the hospital, I was just excited to go home. So I don't know if that's a common experience or, yeah, if people are really sad to leave. I'm not really sure. Mm, oh, yeah, I can imagine it would be a mixed bag of emotions. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And so, yeah, how were you feeling, uh, you know, mentally and emotionally in the rest of that period of going home without her and visiting her there? Um, I was very numb most of that time. Um, I was trying to keep positive for all of the people around me. Obviously, like immediate family, I could talk to and everything, but um, I'm one of the first of our friends to have children and stuff. So they'd be like, oh, but at least she's okay. At least this, at least that, at least, at least, at least. And I'm like, okay, so maybe I just need to be more grateful. Like I shouldn't be so upset because she is alive. And I guess, you know, that's all that matters, um, which it's not, but yeah, so I just felt a lot of guilt for trying to talk to anybody about it. I didn't want to make them feel uncomfortable, which isn't fair on me. Um, so I just, I kind of shut off from everything. I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I had a really hard time connecting with her. I couldn't hold her till she was three days old. She wasn't strong enough. So I think I just really struggled to get that bond with her and... Yeah, I don't know. It was such a weird time. It's a whole big blur. It was really, really hard. Mm. Oh, I'm so sorry. And yeah, that just was not the introduction that you were expecting into your parenthood journey at all. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And so how much longer did she spend in NICU in special care? And how was that transition when she did come home um so she stayed in the hospital that she was born at for two weeks in the NICU and Brad and I weren't allowed in together at the same time due to restrictions so we would kind of alternate like one of us would sit in the hallway while the other one went in and like every day was just hours and hours of swapping and changing so at two weeks old we asked if when she was ready to be moved if she could be moved to our local hospital and she was and She was there for about a week and then she developed a really bad infection in her stomach and had to go to another hospital again for a week and then she came back for two more weeks and yeah, she was in for seven weeks in total. Okay, so was that always in NICU or was that also in special care? She did three weeks total NICU and three weeks total special care but it was kind of like it swapped and changed depending on her needs. Okay, yep. So she, bringing her home was weird because we were really excited but we knew that her criteria for bringing her home was she basically had to be on suck feeds for I think it was 24 or 48 hours and then we could take her tube out so that meant all bottles um and then after I think it was like 48 hours after that then she could come home so we knew it was coming as soon as they took the tube out we were like yes we're gonna bring her home and then I went home and I was like oh my god we're bringing her home like we have everything what do we ready do now? <laughs> yeah what are we doing now and we were just so focused on like our family meeting her because our parents hadn't met her that whole time she was so tiny when she was born and she was about a kilo heavier at this point when she came home so they had never seen her so little we couldn't describe it like we we're just so excited about that and everything that 
by the time everyone left that day that we brought her home, we were like, now what? So she didn't sleep at all the first night. And I realized as I'm like walking up and down the hallway with her, Brad's Googling how to settle her. We actually don't know how to parent. Like Mm. that sounds so (laughs) stupid, but we were so focused on the NICU that we never looked beyond that. So it was really hard. I think most parents are like that. Like (laughs) we had no idea what we were doing. (laughs) You've got to kind of like learn on the job. (laughs) There's not much training. (laughs) I don't think any of the courses or books can prepare you for having a newborn anyway. (laughs) Totally, yeah. (laughs) It's probably a normal experience, yeah. Mm, Yeah. And had anyone at the hospital told you, you know, what to expect in terms of her feeding and her sleep and all of those things when you did get home because she was born prematurely? Absolutely. They did. And they like almost on the daily, someone would come and sit down with you and they had all this paperwork and they had these great websites and great resources, Okay, good. but we weren't really listening. Yeah. <laughs> like we were like, okay, go away. We want to hold the baby. Like, I don't know. We were too in the mindset of, oh, but Which baby, so like yeah. just go away. Um, so I wish so much that we actually paid attention to that um, but I'm a very hands-on learner so I think even the booklets and stuff probably weren't much help anyway mm, yeah and how about in terms of your emotional support did they offer you any kind of counseling or resources or anything there at the hospital they didn't and that is something that I'm really disappointed about I think they were supposed to but we chopped and changed hospitals so much that we just kind of slipped through the cracks And if I could go back, I would speak up and ask because the nurses did a wonderful job. Every single day, the nurses would ask how we were and they'd give us a hug and they'd ring us or we'd ring them overnight to see how she was doing. And they were really fantastic, but actual help that we probably needed just wasn't there. Mm, And yeah, I think that that should just be a given for anyone who's been through any kind of experience like that because it's so unexpected and so much to navigate. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I really wish you had gotten that. Me too. And I didn't really seek it afterwards after she came home because it just felt like a big scary thing. So I just kind of avoided it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And especially if you haven't seen a counsellor or anything like that before because it can be hard to access the system it's so overloaded and you've got to get a mental health plan and then see this gp and see this and tick all these boxes and that can be so hard when you're already trying to navigate how to parent a new baby so daunting and i didn't i thought i was okay like when she came home i was like okay well i can't be sad now like it's over it's in the past again i think a lot of like not so much like friends but people that I was talking to were like well she's home now and I'm like yep yep push on and it wasn't until I think she'd been home for maybe a week that my sister-in-law made a comment she was like are you okay and I was like no and I just broke down and I cried to her and I was like I'm just I'm really struggling one with everything we went through two she was super duper colicky and I just didn't know how to manage that the whole adjustment to becoming a parent was really hard and yeah she encouraged me to contact the doctor but he couldn't find anyone who didn't have a really long waiting list so he's like I want you to go research and find someone so I gave up because yeah. it just was too much so I probably didn't get the help I needed um, but it wasn't necessarily through lack of trying. Mm, and that's so hard when that responsibility 
falls solely on your shoulders because you've already got so much to think about at that time. And I'm sure the same thing happens to so many new parents. And I think that's where we see those rates of postnatal anxiety and depression creeping in because that support really is so hard to access. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And so you mentioned that she was colicky. Did that impact her sleep Mm. or anything like that? How was that for you? Oh, it was all a big nightmare. Mm. (laughs) Um, Such a big topic. Um, She did not sleep, basically. Um, The nurses in the NICU were like, good luck with her because she has FOMO, she doesn't like to sleep. So I didn't know that she had reflux or anything like that when she was in the hospital, Um, I guess because they're inclined in their little cots and stuff. So I don't know, you're just not really aware of it. But she was awake pretty much all night. She would only sleep on us. She was so uncomfortable. She'd just throw up all the time and arch her back and lift her legs. And every video and photo I've got of her as a newborn for probably the first, like, four months of her life, she's in pain like she's not happy she's not a cute little baby sleeping on you her face is all furrowed and yeah it was really sad and um feeding was really really difficult for us so when she was in the hospital when she was born I wasn't told that I needed to express colostrum so it wasn't until she was like eight hours old that a nurse came and helped me with that no one taught me how to pump or how to do any of it so I kind of had to teach myself I think when you're in a hospital on the ward without your child, like you're not visited as frequently by the nurses. Like they come and they check on you, but yeah, by the time they came in, they'd be like, have you pumped? And I'm like, no, I didn't know when I was no supposed to. That. And then they yeah. kind of get a bit snappy. And so I kind of taught myself everything. I spoke to the lactation consultant who was rubbish at the hospital and she really? was like, you okay. just need to hold her more. And I was like, okay, cool. I'm here 24-7. I don't know how much more I can hold her. Um, So I went home and I pumped and it was really hard. I really struggled with my supply. Um, Once we moved to our local hospital, I spoke to a lactation consultant there who was wonderful. She actually examined me and told me why I had low supply. She was like, you haven't failed. It's fine. If you would like to formula feed, you can. Um, we talked about medication, we talked about everything and we decided that I would stop pumping. So I pumped exclusively for four weeks and we fed her through her tube and then she went on to formula. So we thought she might be um, allergic to the formula that she was on when she was in the hospital, but that's when she developed her infection. So they thought maybe it wasn't that, maybe it was just the infection because it was in her stomach. So we didn't do anything about that. But I think the day after she came home from the hospital, I was on the phone to them and I was like, something's not right. I rang my doctor, I rang the pediatrician and they all said, yep, she's got reflux, like put her on a thickener. Then she was constipated and she was miserable. And we tried so many different formulas. And eventually one night I ended up taking her into the hospital at about four months old. We called an ambulance because her breathing was really bad. And he said, yep, she's allergic to cow's milk protein. And We've been feeding her cow's milk protein like 24-7. So that's why she's so unhappy. So we ended up switching and that was a lot better, but it didn't kind of completely go away till she was about eight months old and fully established on solids. So now she is like a legend eater. Like she will eat anything you give her. She's awesome. So it's funny now the comparison to back then because it would trigger me so bad, like looking at formulas 
the formula we were using was out of stock everywhere so we had to try and change it again like it was such a nightmare um even now like her sleep sucks like it just all kind of it all went hand in hand like because she was so uncomfortable she couldn't sleep now she has all of these associations of wanting to be cuddled to sleep and she's 18 months old and I'm studying to be a sleep consultant I'm helping other people with their children and mine is like so triggering that I just struggle with her yeah so many people that I've spoken to who've become sleep consultants really have that first hand lived experience (laughs) with um with sleep struggles (laughs) so you can use that in your profession but yeah how exciting yeah doing that how's that all going it's a lot of fun really good I'm just working with my volunteer clients at the moment and then I'll be qualified yeah oh great that's exciting so you'll get to start working in that soon yes maybe start with my own child and see if I can sort her out (laughs) that first hand experience there yeah. yeah. So I'm curious to know with the cow's milk protein allergy, you said you went to the doctor and he diagnosed winter with that. Um, how do they go about diagnosing yeah. that? Is there a little test that they do or yeah, what do they do to determine it? It's basically based just on their symptoms. So the symptoms include for her, her symptoms were she had the baby acne, but it wasn't, you know, like most babies get the baby acne and it kind of clears up pretty quickly. Hers didn't. And what's even worse is that I was putting like breast milk that I had in the freezer on her skin because everyone said that helps it. I was making it 10 times worse. Um, So she had the baby acne. She was constipated. She was irritable. Um, They have mucousy stools. Um, Mostly just that. But then like the arching of the back is a really big sign. Um, She was gassy, hard to burp, but mostly... It, it is mostly trial and error. Like, yeah, they say just try a few different formulas and if she gets better, then that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, yeah, that must be a relief getting that clarity. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm interested to know how the next period of time went with Winter in terms of her development. Is there anything that you have to kind of keep in mind in terms of that? I know that with premature babies, they usually adjust their age based on um, when their due date rather than yeah rather than that so how has everything gone there for you um she has actually been really good with her development she's meeting her milestones at her adjusted age so she's 18 months old now and she's just started walking um so around 15 ish months corrected is when she started walking um they consider them fully caught up by the age of two obviously that's totally dependent on the child but we do feel like she will be at that point but she was I guess a little bit slower than other babies around her age so that was a bit difficult to see them doing all of these things and yours isn't but she did eventually get there um and now she's talking and walking and running and she's crazy she's off so yeah but it was hard I would say for the first year and then after that like first birthday mark it's all just been smooth sailing oh beautiful yeah oh, I love to hear that yeah oh. and I'd love to know now how becoming a parent has changed your sense of self-identity that's a great question um I was talking to Brad about this yesterday trying to figure out what my answer was and (laughs) I said to him I was like you know I don't really know who I was before I had her like I think having COVID as well like 
I have my own business and that kind of all, I had to shut that down and that was such a big part of my identity. Um, so when that shut down, I was a bit lost and I felt like I lacked, not purpose, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, whereas now that I've had her, I don't want to say that I'm just a mother because I am so much more than just a mother, but I feel like being the role of a nurturer and a carer really suits me. It really makes me happy. So I do, I guess, identify as a mum and that is my main identity right now, but I'm perfectly happy with that. Yeah, yeah, I can really resonate with that as well. That feeling of just not really knowing your life before they came along. Like, what did I do before that? Yeah, I have no (laughs) idea what I did with all that spare time. Yeah, yeah, probably slept a lot more. (laughs) A lot more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's lovely though. So have you been able to start working again now that things have opened up a lot more? Yeah, so I started working in June of last year, actually. So it's been about 12 months since I've gone back to work. And that's been a really big adjustment. Um, Prior to having winter, I was working in a salon for myself, but renting a space. And I worked four or five days a week. I was really busy, booked out, making a lot more money than I make now. (laughs) Um, I was very confident in my skills and my abilities and everything and I kind of had to shut down overnight because as I said earlier like I was at work when my water broke so I didn't have any maternity leave I didn't have time to kind of plan anything I had no idea what I was going to do so I took a lot longer off than I wanted to and when I reopened I opened up at my parents house in their spare room and I'm only working like two and a half days a week and it's tricky to juggle motherhood and working um so yeah I feel like it's going really well but it's not what it was and I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that that is okay and that like it will get there eventually it's just different now but that's okay Mm, yeah definitely is a massive juggle yes very much so (laughs) yeah oh that's great that you're able to dip your toe back into that a little bit yeah I'm really enjoying it yeah And I'm interested to know how you have prioritized self-care during this time. Um, It sounds so cliche, but like a shower and skincare every day is a non-negotiable. Oh, so good. I don't think I have. (laughs) Yeah, like I said to Brad before she was born, I was like, I'm showering every day. If that means that it's not till 11 p.m. and I have a two-minute shower, I don't care. Like I'm not going a single day without showering. And I have to say, I think I have succeeded with that. Oh, good idea. Um, <laughs> that's mostly it. We are very fortunate that we have a wonderful family who loves seeing winter. They all live nearby. So on a Friday, Brad's mum will have winter while I work. And then when I finish, we can go out for dinner or something like that. So we're very fortunate to have some alone time, whether we want to do something together or something separately. So I know that that is a huge privilege and I'm very, very lucky to have that. But yeah, I would say that and yeah, a shower. A shower is just so good. Mm-hmm. Oh, a shower is such an undervalued self-care practice. 100%, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so how has your relationship with Brad changed since you've become a parent? Um, it's improved a lot. Like, it's amazing. Like, I think the NICU really, really pushed us close up. We were already very close. We've been together for a very long time. But 
when we were going through it, I felt like he was the only person that I could really talk to that understood. I could share my fears and my concerns and everything with him without judgment. And he felt the same for me. So a lot of the times when you're talking to people, they are afraid of telling you the wrong thing. So they don't really give you too much, whereas we could be open and honest. Um, and I think what works best for us is working as a team. So we don't keep score on anything. It's not like I did the last nappy, you do the next one. It's like, okay, I'll clean up from dinner while you do the bath. Tomorrow night we'll swap if we want to. Like we kind of just give each other a choice. And I think that has really helped too. And we just have so much fun with her. She's our little best friend. So it's improved a lot. Not that it wasn't good beforehand, but it's just gotten really strong. Yeah, wonderful. Working as a little team there. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. So I would love to know whether parenting a premature baby and all of your experiences around that how that's changed any of your preconceived notions about parenting such as perhaps did you and Brad have a certain idea about how many kids you might like to have or what family life might look like and then how has that changed since you have had this experience Very much so. Um, Before having winter, we were set on having two children, um, maybe three. We were going to travel a lot, go camping, do all these fun things with them. And then after she was born, I said to the midwife as soon as she came out, I was like, I'm never doing that again. Like, I'm just, I don't want to go through this again. Um, For probably the first good year, I would say we were like one and done. We couldn't imagine doing it again. Um, we didn't want to take her anywhere. We were afraid she'd get sick. We were so paranoid about everything. So the first year was tough in that sense. And now that it's been a little bit longer, I think we've healed a little bit. We're like, okay, maybe we will have two children. Not 100% sure. Maybe. Maybe we will take her out and camping. So it's changed in that sense. Um, We were expecting it to be hard, even if she was a full-term baby. Uh, We love sleep. And we knew that that would be really difficult. We didn't do a lot beforehand in the sense of like we didn't go to clubs or anything like that. So it's not like we had to give up anything too much. But I think that side, it is exactly what we expected. But yeah, just for our sense of family and what we wanted for the future, that did change. Mm. So have they, I I forget the term for the placenta infection you had. What was that again? Chorioamnionitis. Mm, yeah. Okay. So have they said what your chances are of having that again in subsequent pregnancies as well as preterm? Yeah. Later? So I, I kind of know why she was born early and I don't. It's really tricky. But basically my water broke, which is called PROM, premature preterm, well, sorry, preterm premature rupture of membranes. Um, and that is technically the cause of her birth and the infection is the cause but we don't have a cause for why it broke. We have no idea. We have our suspicions um, and we're not going to know until we have another pregnancy. But even then, it's not necessarily something we can catch. It might just happen. So once you have a premature baby, you are at risk of having another premature baby. Mm, Okay. So then you'd just be in the high-risk category for the whole next pregnancy due to that? I believe so. I think you just have more scans, more blood tests, and you're kind of more aware of what to look out for. So does that make you nervous with the at the thought of going into another pregnancy? Very, very much so. Um, we feel kind of 
confident that if we had to go through it again, like we know what to expect, we've done it before, um, but I don't want to go through it again. So yeah, it's kind of made it tricky. Mm, I can totally imagine. Yeah. And could you share any advice or words of comfort for any parents who might know that they're having a premature baby or currently, currently do have one? Yeah, I would say take it one day at a time. And everyone will tell you that, everyone at the hospital will, but it's true. They usually take two steps forward, one step back. They go downhill really, really quick. You see them in the morning, they're great. By the afternoon, they're not. Um, Same as when they're sick. Morning, they're really unwell, and by that afternoon, they're fine. So I think just take it as it comes. Don't feel guilty if you can't spend as much time there as you want to. I know, especially if you have more than one child, it could be really hard to manage that. Um, Take some time for yourself, even if it's 10 minutes in the morning while you're getting ready to go to the hospital, stand outside, get some fresh air because you're going to be in those four walls for a really long time. Um, And yeah, just talk to people, talk to the hospital if you don't have anyone at home that you can talk to, use, like utilise their, I guess, services, use the lactation consultant. If they have a caseworker, ask them, ask to speak to all of the doctors, don't be afraid to ask questions. Just speak up and remember that it's your baby because I know that sometimes it doesn't feel like they are, but you don't have to ask permission to touch or hold your baby. They are yours. So, yeah, that's what I'd say. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And on your Instagram, you've recently started sharing mothers and parents' own transitions and journeys into parenthood and their births and all of those things. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and where people can find you if they would like to check out those beautiful stories? Yeah, of course. So I started sharing birth stories. I found I was sharing mine so much with anyone who wanted to hear it. I think that was a big part of my healing. So I wanted to hear about everybody else's. I think when you've had a bit of a traumatic experience, people kind of don't want to hear it. Like you're told don't scare expecting mothers and stuff like that. So I felt like there wasn't really a space um, in my close life. I suppose there is plenty on the internet, but um, there wasn't anywhere that I could kind of talk about it without someone going, you should just be grateful and blah, blah, blah. So I wanted to make a space where people could talk about either their trauma or if it wasn't traumatic, if they had a beautiful birth, an amazing experience. I want to hear about that too because that gives me hope for potentially the next child. I want to hear about C-sections and your postpartum experience and matrescence and everything like that. So yeah, I put the call out to see if anyone wanted to share their story and I've had a few come in and a few more in the works right now. So um, if you are interested on my website, which is thewildflowercollective.com.au, you can fill out a form on there to put your birth story in and yeah, I'll get a few photos from you and pop it up on the page. Mm, yeah, beautiful. And yeah, I think there's so much power in sharing those stories and in being able to process things that have happened to us through them. Yeah. So thank you for providing that platform. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Shan, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast today. It's been so lovely to have you on and to chat to you and hear all your experiences and I'm so glad to hear Winter is doing Thank you. so well now. Yes, she's doing awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Sharing our stories is such a meaningful way to connect with ourselves and others. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. 
Follow us on Instagram at Definitely Baby Podcast for photos of our weekly guests, updates, or to share your own story. I'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate the podcast, or share with a friend. It really helps us to grow and help other parents feel more supported by these beautiful stories. I'll see you next week for another lovely episode. Thank you.